Okay, we entered a series on the seven deadly sins a couple of weeks ago, uh, last week, so it's just we're just now getting into it, and greed is kind of first up, and it's amazing to me what people will do for money. Uh, there was a book written a while back, it was uh, The Day America Told the Truth, a guy named, oh, what was his name, Robinson, I think, wrote this, and he discovered that, and this was it's quite old, honestly, so... Uh, I would suspect that the statistics I'm going to give you from this book would have increased since then. But uh, what people would do for $10 million. The question was, what would you do for $10 million? Uh, 3% of parents said they would put their children up for adoption. (laughs) You're laughing. That's sad. I mean, think about it. You're probably saying, only three? Yeah, yeah. Um, 16% said they would leave their spouse. 25% said they would abandon their family forever. 25% said that they would abandon their belief in God for $10 million. Uh, 23% said they would become a prostitute for a week or longer to receive $10 million. Now, greed will cause people to do unbelievable things. We're going to talk about that today. Now, um, the big idea for the day. Greed is the desire to acquire gone haywire. I mean, it's, uh, it's good stuff right there. And... It's, um, somebody said it was a, a, a consumption assumption. The, the idea is that everything that God gives us is for our own a consumption. And we live in a consumer-driven society. I mean, it is just what we live in. And so today we're going to talk about kind of what, what money would say to us. Because you've heard the expression, money talks. I heard one guy say, money talks, I'll not deny. I heard it once, it said goodbye. Um, we're going to talk about money. So you you got a coin coming in. You should pull that out right now. There's a face on the cover, on the front. Who is that? Oh, wow. Nice. Um, so I began to think through, if money could talk, if this coin could talk, what would it say? I mean, what would JFK tell us to do, right? And then I got to thinking, okay, there's... Maybe good money talk and bad money talk. And so if you have your outlines, I want you to think that money is talking to you. And we're going to see what, I mean, good money talk would be if JFK was whispering in our ear saying, this will make you more godly. This will make you closer to the Lord. And then bad money talk would be if JFK was not good JFK, but bad JFK. And if he were whispering in our ears what to do that would draw us away from God. So today, you might want to put that on your knee and you kind of look at it. But today, we're going to, we're going to kind of look at what would money say to us if money really could talk. And we're going to get, begin with bad money talk. So see JFK in, in a, you know, maybe in a do-rag and like a, you know, something bad. He's a bad guy. Okay. Not that do-rags are bad. I like them. Okay. Anyway, bad money. Bad money, number one, would say you don't have a greed problem. Greed is like somebody else's problem, but it's really not your problem. That's what bad money would say to you. Greedy people, they're much richer than you. This is kind of what bad money would say. Now, Jesus one time, understand, speaking to people much poorer than us, much poorer. This was an audience of incredibly poor people. They, they lived hand to mouth. I mean, really, they, they didn't have resources built up. In their cupboard, they didn't have, you know, six months worth of food. Uh, it, it was not much. And yet Jesus would say to these people, 
Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of the abundance of your possessions. Now, what I find really interesting about this is that Jesus doesn't often say, watch out. He says it occasionally. Jesus never said, watch out, be on your guard against murder. Because you kind of don't slide into murder. It's not like you have the axe raised over somebody and all of a sudden you go, oh, wait a minute, I might be killing somebody. You don't slide into it. Jesus never said, watch out, be on your guard against adultery. Typically, we don't say to ourselves, hey, wait a minute, that's not my husband in bed with me. I mean, it's not like you slide into these things. But man, greed evidently is something that you can kind of fall into and not know it. Watch out. I mean, Jesus is warning us about something that might happen if we're not careful. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. You don't, you, you don't slide into certain things, but this is something if you're not careful, you'll slide into. And the thing about possessions is, do the possessions own you or do you own the possessions? Because I've, I've talked to people and I've asked them about attending church and that kind of thing. And, and I've had these arguments. Well, I can't come to church because I spend a lot of money on this bass boat and I've got to get my money's worth out of it, and I'm fishing on Sunday. Well, at that point, who owns who? It reminds me of the story of these couple of guys. They, they had heard there was a bounty on wolves in Alaska. $5,000 per head if you could capture a wolf. They were kind of taking over the territory, and they wanted to capture them and relocate them, and 5000 bucks a head. So these two guys go out. Their names were Stan and Jeb. And Stan and Jeb, they go out and they're looking for these wolves. They can't find them anywhere. And one night they're around the, uh, their campfire and they fall asleep. And all of a sudden one of them wakes up and they're surrounded by 50 ferocious wolves. Kind of glare in their eyes, their teeth are gnarled. And it, Stan wakes up first and he punches Jeb and he says, Jeb, we're rich. Who, who has who? All right. Oh, you got it. Good. It's good. It's good. So, bad money would say, you... It's not about, you don't have a greed problem, because here's the deal. As long as there are multi-millionaires and billionaires out there, as long as there are people like uh, Madoff who, who scam people out of their money, we can always find somebody who is really greedy. They're really greedy. And, and we're, compared to them, not greedy at all. Bad money will say, you don't have a greed problem. Bad money will say, look at how much they have. Compare yourself to them. Now, super interesting. Look at this picture. Um, these are Olympians. And they've all won medals. Now, gold medal, silver medal, uh, bronze medal, right? That's how it goes. This isn't a trick question. Let me just ask you uh, uh, this question. There, there's an MIT sociologist who did some research on this. Who do you suspect on the podium is happiest when they win a medal? W which one? Gold, great, awesome. Who do you think is second happiest? Bronze medal. Super interesting to me. So the, the guy did the research, and what he, what he showed was, the guy who wins the silver, that would be, let me see if I can get my little pointer. This guy, look how happy he is. Oh, do that with your face right now. He's super happy, because he compares himself down. He looks at the fourth place guy, and he says, I could have been fourth. I get a medal. Look at number two. Look how sad he is. 
His hair wouldn't even stand up. I mean, because he's comparing himself to whom? Number one, he's thinking to himself, if I had done this, if I had just done this, if I had made this adjustment in my approach, if I had done this just a little bit better, I could have the gold medal. It's really important. This kind of speaks to the human heart, doesn't it? That we are comparing. And we have this tendency to compare. Now, how many of us notice homes that are less large than ours? Or cars that are not as nice as ours? Or how many of us notice the Casio Special? How many of us notice the $5 flip-flops from Old Navy? Or are they $3 now? I don't even know. How many of us notice those things? What, what do we notice? We notice the mansion on a hill. We, we notice the really nice automobile. We, we notice the Rolex. <laughs> I had a Rolex once when I was in college. Bought it for 10 bucks. High quality. Um, and and I'm, I know everybody around me was thinking, eh, that guy has a Rolex. Anyway, we, don't notice, we, we notice the Rolex. We notice the Prada pumps. We don't notice the, the, the littler stuff because... That is in our nature. It's in our nature. Look at Proverbs. It says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy, what does it say? What does envy do? Rots the bones. Yikes. Our comparisons need to not be with people with more. This is why I think working with people who have less in ministries that serve people who need food and housing when we go on mission trips to countries where folks have so much less than us, it, it is a spiritual thing when we do this. I mean, it kind of charges me up when I go to a place where I can see people living with much less. And yet somehow they're, they're thankful and they're happy. And we live in a society where we're kind of on this get more stuff treadmill. And if we're not careful, we just run that till our legs fall off. Bad money will say, look at what they have. And they're, that, the they that they're talking about has always got more. Bad money will say, worry about me. I, you're going to find this as, as no surprise, but uh, the number one thing people worry about in America today is money. Now think about all the stuff we've got going on in our society. The number one worry is money. It has been, it continues to be, it will probably continue to be into the future. Money is a worry. And Jesus said this to his disciples. I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more, uh, more than food and your body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? I mean, Jesus is like, you worry about the wrong stuff. Here, here's, here's what bad money will tell you. The way to fix worrying about money is to get what? More money. More money, more money. You get more money, all of a sudden, you don't have to worry about money. The problem with that is, I'm at an age now... I. I have more money now than I did when I was 20. And yet, I don't worry about money less. When I was 20, I worried about money. 
And when I was 30, I worried about money. I had more when I was 30 than 20. And when I was 40, I made more money. And I still worried about it. Having more money doesn't make you worry less about money. It's just amazing. It doesn't really, that's not the cure. But bad money will say, hey, worry about me. Bad money, oops, bad money will say, you are not in a position to give right now. In principle, giving is a good idea. In theory, great idea. In practice, right now, it makes no sense. Now, let's hit the pause button. Time out. If you're a guest, one of the things people hate about church is that they're always asking people for money. So if you're a guest, we're not asking for your money. I want you to know that. We're not asking. We're not going to take a donation up at the end. We're not going to do any of that. This is a lesson for us who want to walk close to God to understand something. Okay, this is, this is to us. And bad money will say, you're not in a position to give. But Jesus said, look at this, super interesting. Ben read it a minute ago. Give and it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. When, um, when you make bread, or let's say, let's go with bread, and you need flour in a, how much flour would you use to make bread? Miriam, where are you? Like a cup? Let's go with a cup. Okay. A cup of flour. It's one of those little glass things with the handle on it, guys. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. Now, Miriam doesn't just sort of plop it in there. She kind of presses it down. She, makes, then she kind of scrapes it off with the knife because you, you have to. By the way, my wife makes some sweet bread. I mean, it's awesome. Um, you should have some sometime. Uh, it's great. Miriam, let's make some for everybody next week. Anyway, uh, it's great. Yeah, that's what we'll do. Anyway, um, there's, this isn't like some mechanical, hey, Jesus is saying this is how it's going to work. This is, this is the truth. When you give, it'll be given to you. I mean, God's ambition for our life is to become as much like Jesus as possible. And Jesus, if you'll read his life story in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, he's always giving. He's healing people. He's giving people wisdom. He, he's helping people understand life better. He's stopping his own stuff to help other people do stuff. I mean, Jesus is this constant consummate giver and again we're, we're told we're fed this line bad money will say to us you just need more money you're not in a position now to give and yet what's super interesting to me is in the field of finance they do this research about who are the most generous people without exception every time they do this people people in lower income brackets give a higher percentage of their money than people in higher income brackets it's just how it works when we Having more won't make us give more. It just doesn't work that way. And so bad money will say, you're not in a position to give right now. Now, it doesn't have to be money. What, what else could you give? I think you should give money. I'm not saying that. But we, we should give our time to people. We should give our attention to people. There are things we, we should be the most giving people on the planet. Look, our society is becoming more and more non-Christian all the time. We, we don't like it, we, we, don't, we, don't have to, we don't have to like it. It's just the reality of what it is. But Jesus said, by this all men will know you're my disciples. If you love 
one another. If you care about people, if you serve others. I mean, we should be the most giving, serving, loving people. It should be a distinctive of ours that we look different than everybody else. In 2 Corinthians it says, they are being tested by many troubles. This is talking. Paul writes about a church who has a lot of problems. And he says, they are being tested by many troubles. They're very poor, but they are filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed into rich generosity. Now, this is the oddest mathematic equation I've ever seen. They're troubled and poor, and yet they have a joy which makes them generous. They're troubled and poor, but because of their joy, they're generous. It's crazy math. But people who have the joy of Christ, the joy of the Lord in their lives, are generous people. That's what we should be known for. Bad money will say, your money situation will just work itself out eventually. Nothing to see here. No need to investigate. It's all going to work out. And people pay the price for this every day. Uh, All of a sudden there's a realization. I'm looking and I'm thinking, man, uh, I've got more month than money. This isn't good. I'm running out of funds. Now, I've got some decisions to make at this point. I can go for clarity and try to figure out where my money is going, or I can just ignore it. So we're going to take a quick survey. How many people pay their bills online? How many people? Oh, good, lots, okay. How many go old school, you write the check, you put it in an envelope, you stick a stamp on there? Anybody? A couple, okay. How many people just ignore them and hope they'll go away? Anybody? All right, okay. All right. There are times when bad money will whisper to you, oh, it'll all work out. I had a, a fellow, my, my, my dad built some buildings that he rented out. This was in a, his attempt to help my mother um, and, and he, both as they got older, it would provide them income in their retirement. Now, my dad died many, many years ago. And so this, these buildings have been left to my mother to manage. And that, I mean, that was great for him, not so much for her. And she had a tenant who got way behind on his rents. My mother is in her 70s and 80s, and it's difficult for her to you know, be aggressive with, with people who aren't paying their rent. And we found out that this renter, he, he wanted to pay, but he got really far behind. And so he, he, went, he had this brilliant idea that if he bought enough lottery tickets, he could pay... His back rents. Bad money will say, that's a good idea. Yeah, just kind of gamble it away. Because all you need is a little money. All you need is to get lucky. Let's not take an adult approach at this. Let's not ask for clarity. Let's just see if it works out. Well, it never worked out for him. Because that typically doesn't work out. Bad money will whisper that to you. Bad money will say, you don't quite have enough yet. Bill Hybels is the pastor of a church in, um, in uh, Chicago, a huge church. And his wife, Lynn, 
kind of began to get convicted about uh, this idea around, she became convicted that she was becoming too consumeristic, and she didn't like it. And so she decided that for one year, for 12 months, she wasn't going to spend any money on clothes or shoes, nothing. 12 months. Guys, can I get a witness? I mean, uh, that is awesome, right? So she, she decides, now her husband, Bill, who is 100% Dutch, was all for this, by the way. Oh, yeah, great. No more spending on clothes. Except, she, she after about three months, begins to think, okay, what can I better spend that money on? So what they were going to save it. And, and she, her heart became con- convicted about giving toward people in, uh, who have AIDS in Africa. This kind of became her her cause. And, and and she would give the money that she would have spent on clothing toward this. There's a, they had a fund at their church to help people who were suffering from AIDS in Africa. And not only did she give the money that she would have spent, but now she started to think, I should give more than that. And so now Hybels is thinking, good grief, I wish you were spending money on clothes. Because uh, it got more and more and more. It reminds me of the story of the guy whose wife's credit card got stolen. And somebody asked him about it and said, have you stopped? Have you put a stop on it? He said, no, the thief spends less than my wife. Uh, anyway. That's gold. You should tweet that. Uh, that's good. Okay. That's good. That's good. That's good. A recent survey was asking of Americans, what's your favorite recreational activity? Now, it wasn't fishing, not hunting, scrapbooking. Number one recreational, recreational activity in America, shopping. Uh, we are driven by consumerism. And bad money will say, hey, you got a good amount, but you don't have enough yet. Now, what would happen if we decided, just one day, we decided out of the blue, we decided that we had enough. We claim today as enough day. I'm going to stop buying stuff I don't need with money I don't have to impress people I don't even know or don't even like. What would happen if we stopped listening to bad money? Because I do believe it could revolutionize our lives. If we would stop listening to bad money, and then when we got like excess money, instead of figuring out how do we spend it on ourselves, what if we decided we, we're comfortable, we're content? What if we began to listen to good money? We're going to see what good money says in a second. And we said, when we get excess, let's figure out how we can bless somebody else rather than spending it all on ourselves. Remember, Greed is the desire to acquire gone haywire. It's a consumption assumption. The assumption is everything that I get, I have to spend on me. What if we reverse that and began to think differently about the possessions that we have? What if we took possession of our possessions and stopped, acting, stopped letting them lead us? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because good money would say this. So now JFK is good. The good JFK. All right, good JFK. Good money would say, don't look to me for contentment. Don't look to me for contentment. There's a guy named John Roseman. You should know this name, John Roseman. He wrote a book called Parenting by the Book. Great book, by the way. Now, he began to notice in America this this sort of cultural uh, oddity that American children are bored. And, And 
he sort of did this informal survey and he went different places and he would ask people in foreign countries when he would travel overseas, are your kids bored? And without exception, parents would say, well, no, they're not, they're not bored. In fact, many of them didn't even understand the question because kids and boredom didn't seem to go together. And then he did a survey of parents who parented in the, in the 50s and 60s. And, and he would ask them, were your kids ever bored when, growing up? Now, without exception, these parents would say, well, well, no, they weren't bored. In fact, we would say to them, you're going to help me finish this sentence. If, if you can't find something to do, what would a parent say? I'll find something for you to do. They weren't bored. And, and then these folks who grew up in the 40s and 50s, he, he asks them, how many toys did you have growing up? And they would say between 0 and 10, never more than 10. And many of them would say, you know, we played with sticks, or we would get a cardboard box and make something out of it. And they were never bored. Now, today, get this. By contrast, according to studies, the typical American child today has accumulated about 250 toys. And yet, how many times those of us who are parents hear our kids say, I'm bored? We hear it all the time. The point is this. It is a pretty strong indicator that stuff doesn't lead to contentment. Let me show you this super, super cool verse. You kind of know this. I've learned the secret of being content. This is a guy named Paul who was beaten and really bad things happened to him, but he loved Jesus. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he says, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And you know that verse because we pull it out and we tattoo it on our arms and we have it on on, uh, our bumpers. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But we pull it out of context. Because the context is Paul saying, I've learned to be content whether I have a lot or whether I have little. Contentment. I've learned this through Christ who gives me strength. I don't have to have everything. Uh, I don't have to possess every possession. I heard about this family in Southern California. The guy was saying, you know, my wife and I were talking about downsizing and, and, and all that. And, and, and here's the thing about owning stuff. Situations change. And he was talking about, you know, we wanted to downsize and we had this $500,000 house. And then in 2008, the housing crash happened. And now we have a $250,000 house and we didn't even have to move. Uh, sometimes situations change, right? And, and so our stuff doesn't mean as much to us through Christ who gives us the strength to learn this contentment. And when we're discontent, we have to understand that's certainly not Christ's will for our lives. Those of us who follow him... The, Jesus isn't saying, man, I wish they were more discontented. But just the opposite. We, we have to begin to not look at what others have and compare ourselves up, but look at what others don't have and compare ourselves to people. And then we'll, when we do that, when we begin to live that way, we'll begin to want to help folks who don't have as much as us. Good money will say, you'll like your life better if you become a giver. Look at this verse. Jesus says, It's more blessed to give than to receive. He doesn't say it's better or you ought to. He says it's more, what's the word? Blessed. The key to the good life is to be a giver. It blesses us. Look at this verse. This is is a really quirky verse. 
Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. It's a really quirky verse. Again, Paul is this guy who loved Jesus and he wrote much of the New Testament. And he's telling the, the church members in Ephesus, Hey, accept the thief, but let him know, stop stealing, dude. And go to work and make some coin so you can give a little bit of it away. Because this is what leads us to a blessed life. See, you're no, you know you're growing when you're giving. You know you're growing when you're giving. If you want to know, how's my spiritual, what's my spiritual temperature? How much are you giving? <laughs> That's the way to take your spiritual temperature. How, how much do you want to give? How, how driven are you? How compelled are you to give and not just receive? Good money will say, it's time to start giving now, not later. Now in Malachi, or if you're Italian, Malachi, uh, in Malachi 3.10, God says, Bring the whole tithe into my storehouse. There's a little bit of confusion about the tithe, by the way. I'm going to explain that in a minute. And there may be, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this and see if, I, uh, if I'll not throw the floodgates of heaven and pour uh, out so much blessing that you'll not have enough room for it. Now, the word tithe literally means a tenth part. I've had people say to me things like, um, I tithed a quarter today. Okay, let's do some mathematics. If you tithed a quarter, how much did you make that week? Two fifty. Thank you. Yes, only one of you got that. Okay, uh, it's, it's the new math it's messing everybody up. Anyway, so you didn't really tithe. Tithe means ten. I've had people say, "I tithe to my aunt Millie because she needed groceries." Now, that's a good thing to give Aunt Millie groceries. A great thing, but that's not a tithe. Your tithe goes to church. Miriam and I decided when we first got married that we were going to do. Uh, do money this way. We were going to set aside our tithe, 10%, and then we were going to set aside some more money, 5 or 6%, I think we're at 6 now, where we can have that for Aunt Millie, if Aunt Millie needs groceries or something. Because we want to make sure that our tithe goes to our church. Here, here's what's important about that. To, to be a part, I mean, I hope you're thanking God for your church, because this is a great church. And to have a church where you can bring people and they can understand what's going on and they have great music and the, and the teaching hopefully makes sense. I mean, it's not, everybody doesn't have that. I mean, everybody doesn't have that. We gladly give our tithe to this church because I, I see the kids back in these rooms back here and folks volunteering to take care of them. And I know that we're providing a service to help parents bring their kids up to love Jesus. Youth, we have youth, and, and I, I see Ben, and Ben works with the youth, and, and he's up here singing, and it's good stuff, and, and I know my tithe goes for that. And we have this building now, which God gave us, and man, we don't have to put chairs up and down every week and all that stuff, and that's, that's from God. And we give our tithe because we are blessed to have this place. But you, you want to do more for people. That's cool. Do more for people. But give your tithe to the church. When he says to the storehouse, he was talking about to a local church. Now let me, let me end with a couple of verses here. Proverbs says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and from the first of all your produce. First 10%, first check, you write it to, to, 
to church. That's, that's what we do. This last verse, Jesus said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Part of maturity is to learn to deny yourself. I've got this, this money. God has given it to me. There are things I might want to do with it, but I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to deny myself, and I'm going to give to God first. Because that's what good money would say. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've given us today. The opportunity we've had to look in your word, to hear your voice. And I pray that as we close in this, with this song, that we might be compelled to give you not just financial resources, but to give you our hearts. Because if we give you our hearts, everything else will follow. And we pray that as we close today, that you might be honored with everything that you've provided for us. We pray it in Jesus' name.